0: my goodness gracious, you picked a great day to be here. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us in the presence of God. Thank you, Pastor Jeremy, for filling in on vocals today, bro. You did a great job leading us in the presence of the Lord today. So excited. Hey, guys, we got a lot of people to baptize later on today, so I uh, can't wait for that. Cannot wait to be able to celebrate the life transformation that we're going to be celebrating today. That's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Man, sometimes people get church backwards and they think, man, it's a place where you go to go through some kind of religious routine. Now, nah, this is about life transformation through Jesus. And I tell you what, I'm so glad that you guys are all here today. If you don't know who I am, my name is Josh. I'm lead pastor here, which means I'm lead servant here in the house, and uh, do my best to live by that example. Big welcome to everyone joining us online this morning. Can we give a big welcome to the online audience today? Thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, it just gives me great joy every Sunday when I get the opportunity to come up here and just share that uh, today, uh, past messages from our church going out on the Radio Condry network yeah. right now, yeah. uh, reaching potentially millions of people, not just in the state of Georgia, but soon to be South Carolina, soon to be Chicago. I'm just telling you, God is extending territory. So, uh, Corey Condry, if you happen to be watching now or you listen to this later, man, we appreciate you. Yeah. And it's such a privilege yeah. to partner yeah. with Coco Brother himself uh, to get the gospel out of here. Guys, I am ready to dig into this today. Are y'all ready? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you say you're ready, but y'all better be ready. We're starting a series today on spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. So, before we baptize people and celebrate all that uh, God has done, um, I think it would be awesome for us to spend a little bit of time talking about this this morning. If you're not uh, familiar with that term spiritual warfare, it's kind of a churchy term, but you'll see it in the Bible. There's absolutely a conflict happening right now between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And while Jesus handled business on Calvary over 2,000 years ago, the enemy still has a very uh, prevalent presence in our world today and in the lives of others. And he's very intent on taking you and me out. Uh, The sole purpose of his existence is still kill and destroy. He wants to zero in on you and me. But the good news is that Jesus has given us everything that we need to put that joker in the corner where he won't mess with us at all. So... Uh, hopefully, over the course of the next few weeks, we'll be able to equip you to operate on a higher level in this thing called spiritual warfare. You, talk, you start talking spiritual warfare, people start to go off into just Fruitville, it seems like. And everything gets kind of mystic and spiritual, and that's not the case with this series. We're going to get incredibly practical with this. Um, you know, the majority of, of what we have available to us to combat the enemy, that, that ball's in our court. It's in our court. So the power of the spoken word. Um, shutting off the voices of the enemy and knowing how to recognize the lies that he so often tells us, uh, that's the majority of it right there, watching what you speak of yourself. How do you pray? With what level of intensity? What does that spiritual armor of God actually How does that actually play out in our day-to-day life? What we want to do is take the churchy, religious stuff out of it and make it practical and real over the next few weeks so you can put it to work in your life and start taking ground in your life spiritually and putting the devil in his place. Amen? Amen? That's what we want. If you're in love with Jesus today, let me hear you say amen. Amen! All right, if you're really in love with Jesus today, let me hear you say whoop! Alright, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, we're not going to jump into that just yet. If you've got your tablets, devices, those are fine to break out. And just go ahead and cue up that passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 10 is what we're going to dive into in a little bit. But anytime you conduct yourself in any kind of warfare, it always pays off to know your enemy, Right? If you don't know your enemy, you don't know who you're facing, you don't know what they're capable of, and that's what we want to focus on today, just taking a quick look at our enemy, who he is, who he was, what he's capable of, and that makes a big difference. If you play on a sports team before you play your next opponent, you're probably going to scout them out. You're probably going to look at at who their top players are. You're going to try to figure out a game plan to shut them down and a game plan to overcome what they're going to throw at you. You're just going to game plan it. If you're of a military mindset, you're going to absolutely be well prepared before you engage in battle and take the time to know the enemy that you're fighting, what their tactics are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. The same is true in spiritual warfare. You want to make sure that you know the enemy that you're up against because as soon as you stop appreciating what they can do, that's when they got you. Okay? So it's good to not be in fear of the enemy, but we should have a healthy respect, I think, and wisdom connected to how we approach him and how we respond and react to what's going on. We need to know the enemy that we face. Now here's a problem. In in America, they do all these polls and talk to people. About eighty percent of people are gonna say that they believe in God somehow, some way. Whether they're actual Christians or not, that comes into question because believing in God and having a real relationship with Jesus are two completely different things. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Completely different. But about 80% of people will say they believe in God. Now, what's kind of sobering is this, that only 61% of people say that they believe in Satan, Yeah, only about 61% say I believe in the devil. I think the devil is real. In fact, most of our concept or a perception of of Satan and who he is lies in like photos like this right here that I'm about to show you of the devil. Just some crazy pixelated dude with a cape and a pitchfork. How many of y'all y'all see that in the cartoons growing up? That's the devil. Watch out for him. He's gonna get you. Man, if he can get you to think that's all he is and all he's capable of, that he's just some cute little character created to represent evil or the kingdom of darkness, he's got you right where he wants you. There's a lot more to this guy than that. In fact, the real, the real devil doesn't even have a pitchfork. That's just something that we created and we came up with for sure. Uh, a lot of people don't appreciate the fact he's very real. He has an agenda. He's very tricky, and we'll dig into this today and uh, paint a picture, who he is, how he operates, what he's capable of, and how we can shut the door on that joker in our lives and in our families. Wouldn't it be amazing to be able to live your life and serve God and just be able to close the door on the enemy and keep him out of your house, keep him off your kids, keep him out of work? Man, everywhere you go, you walk with the authority and power that you have in Jesus and that he's a secondary thought because you deal with him the way that he should be dealt with. Um, Again, he's not something to fear unless Jesus isn't Lord and Savior of your life. If you don't have Jesus, you ought to be scared out of your mind of what this guy can do in your life. You ought to be scared out of your mind of what he can do in your kid's life. You ought to be scared out of your mind. But with Jesus, now with Jesus... You don't have to worry about that. Speaking of Jesus, let's dive in to Luke chapter 10, the first reference that we're going to look at regarding Satan. Are y'all with me this morning, by the way? All right. You'll find here, and this is Jesus talking. So the 72, in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. The 72 are these 72 people that Jesus was working on discipling. So he had... Larger groups of people that he worked with. He had a group of 72. He had the 12 disciples that we, most of us know. And then out of that 12, he had an inner circle of about three people. Um, so he had a layer and structure to his ministry. But 72 of them went out on this mission that Jesus sent them on. And they were casting out demons. And they're all psyched up about that. And this is what Jesus replied. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes, scorpions, and to overcome all, everybody say all, all all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Man, the 72 come back and they're like, dude, we're casting demons out of these people, and they're listening to us just like it's you saying it. And Jesus is like, yeah, I gave you that authority. You're representing me. And he's like, look, I get that you're excited about that because it's new to you. And he kind of downplays. It. He's like, I saw that joker fall like lightning from heaven. I saw him when he got his butt kicked out. Okay? And now I'm giving you the authority to go out there and trample on the, the, the symbols of evil, the snakes and the scorpions, not literal snakes and scorpions. You know what I mean? Those churches that break the snakes out of the boxes in service. That's a, that's a level of cray-cray that you just don't want to be around. I'm just telling you. So he says, i have given you authority over that. And then he puts a check on this. He says, listen, that's awesome. Okay? But don't get caught up in the fact that these spirits submit to you. That's a sidebar. That's just icing on the cake. The whole cake is this, that your names are written in heaven. That you have salvation—that's the whole ball game. You know, Jesus didn't come to cast demons out of people. He came so that the world might be saved. He says, "Listen, that's awesome, but the temptation is going to be to chase after that sensational aspect." Of, of the spiritual dimension, he's saying, I don't want you to get caught up in that. I want you to be more focused on the fact that you are going to heaven. That's what's most important. I love that he did that, because church people get weird when you start talking about spiritual warfare. Yeah. They get, I don't know, we don't have churchy church people in here, hopefully, but I'm just telling you, they get weird. Like, they get so deep with it, they drown, and it loses all practical aspect. Okay? And, and they'll watch 10,000 hours of YouTube videos or specials and studies. They can quote all that. It doesn't matter what you can quote or what you know. If you're not leading people to Jesus, it doesn't really give a rip what you know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It all starts and ends with reaching people for Jesus. That's what he's pointing out here. It's like, listen, that's awesome. That's just part of it, guys. Keep the main thing the main thing, and that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks is make sure we're keeping the main thing, the main thing in a practical way. It's probably going to be the most practical overview and study of spiritual warfare I know that I've ever done and maybe that you guys have ever heard. Um, There's a spiritual element to it, but it's very practical also, Uh, so we're just going to dig into it and have some fun, so talking about our enemy, talking about Satan, here's some things that, that we need to know, all right, number one, he's real he's real. Spoiler alert, the dude's out there. He is real. How many of y'all know he's real? Y'all been dealing with him a little bit, or y'all been dealing with some demons, and y'all been de- yeah, yeah, he is absolutely real. Some people think that he's not. Well, he's just figurative. Well, if he's figurative, then why did Jesus respond to him like he was a real person? You now we just read In in Luke, Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. Now, you're talking about the Jesus that created the universe, right? So if he can speak stuff into creation, why would he need an imaginary friend? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, Jesus didn't need an imaginary friend. But if you look at Scripture, if you look in Matthew chapter 4, you'll see Jesus confronting. You'll see him confronting Satan. If you look in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus refers to him. Specifically, in in Luke chapter 10, like we just read, Jesus saw him cast down from heaven. In 1 John 3, it says that Jesus came to destroy his work. One of the main reasons Jesus came was not just to seek and save the lost, but to destroy the work of the enemy. So to deny that Satan exists is to deny a larger part of the mission of Jesus while he was on this earth to destroy his work. If there was no enemy, there would be no work to destroy. You know what I mean? So, so he is very, very real, and he's mentioned over 54 times in Scripture in Old Testament and New by a lot of different names, but it is the same person, and it's very clear. He's very real, and he has a very big agenda. Okay, so he's real. Second thing we need to know about the enemy is this, and a lot of people don't realize this. He's not the dude with the cape and the pitchfork. He was once magnificent and high-ranking. He was once magnificent and high-ranking. Now, don't get me wrong. I said once. Okay? I'm not giving that joker any more credit than he deserves because he doesn't deserve any of it. In fact, it's so funny. When, when I write about him, I'll write Satan with a lowercase s because that joker just doesn't deserve an uppercase s. You know, I give him no respect with that regard at all. Um, but I am very aware of what he is capable of. He was once magnificent and very high-ranking in the angelic hierarchy of heaven. So Ezekiel chapter 28 is a passage of scripture we're going to look at. Just looking at who this guy is, what he may quite honestly look like today, and what he had going on in heaven before the fall. Verse 13 says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, anx, jasper, lapis lazuli. Uh, there's some fun names right here. Tur- turquoise and beryl. Your setting and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. This guy, when he was created, looked amazing created with the most precious jewels, adorned with gold. Beautiful to look at. In fact, before the fall, he was known as Lucifer in heaven. That was his angelic name, Lucifer. Um, Lucifer literally, it, it means in the literal translation, bearer of light. Or bright star. That's who he was. The guy was... Gorgeous, probably one of the most beautiful creations in heaven, Uh, angelic creations for sure. He was magnificent to look at. Verse 14, it says, You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. That's massive. He was anointed as a guardian cherub. You don't think of Satan in that respect now, because he's not, but once upon a time... He was a guardian cherub. That is a that is one of the that is the highest ranking angelic title you can have from what we know in Scripture. To be a guardian cherub, a cherub, um, we know from Scripture also are angels that have wings on them. So it's very possible that still today he carries with him a set of wings. He could very much still look like this. Um, he would have had wings as a guardian cherub, if he was not the highest-ranking angel in heaven at the time, he was one of the highest-ranking angels at the time, which means he carried with him authority, which means he carried with him a level of power, not just position, but the ability to operate within that position and and the tools and the skill set to be able to get it done. Now, here's what gets real interesting when you look at who Satan used to be. So you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God, you walked among the fiery stones. Oh, that's massive right there. That is massive. Most people don't realize in heaven right now there is a mount, and we know from Scripture that in that mount, that's where the throne of God is set. What this is saying is that Satan had access to the very throne room of God as a high-ranking angel. We know from other uh, Scriptures in the Bible, and for Tom's sake, we're not digging into all of that today, but on your own time, research it, and you'll find the same thing that I did. Um, So he's a cherub with wings, with access to the throne room of God. He didn't just have access to the throne room of God, but Satan or Lucifer's place in the throne room was literally behind the throne of God. He was that cherub behind the throne whose wings covered the throne of God. He had incredible access. Incredible position and prestige. We also know from Scripture that Satan had musical instruments created especially for him and no one else. And a lot of people say, well, that means that he was a worship leader in heaven. Maybe. Don't know for sure, okay? When you hear people say that, that's an assumption. He had worship instruments. He had musical instruments that were to be played in the presence of God, in the throne room of God, literally over God as he sat on the throne. But here's what we also know is happening in that throne room, okay? You have those beasts that are, that are read about in, in Revelation that are flying around the throne of God, and what are they saying nonstop? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So they're vocalizing worship to the Lord. Uh, we know for sure that Lucifer was playing music, and then you've got the elders in the throne room that are falling down and worshiping God. So there's a lot of logistics happening in that throne room. Maybe Lucifer was leading and coordinating all of that. We don't know from Scripture that he vocalized anything in the throne room of God. We do know that the other beasts with wings that were flying around were vocalizing. So maybe he was the music and they were the vocalists like we'd have on the stage today. you got musicians and vocalists. Maybe it worked like that. Nobody knows for sure, but he was involved in the worship of heaven with specialized instruments made especially for him in the presence of God as one of the highest-ranking angels in heaven. And that's who he is or who he was. Absolutely amazing. And then he went and done messed up. It says, You were blameless in verse 15 in... Your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and expelled you, guardian cherub, there it is again, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud, and on account of your beauty and your corrupt and You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. It references the wisdom that he had. So I threw you to earth. I made a spectacle of you before the kings. In other words, quite possibly, he sat behind that throne and saw everybody worshiping the one in front of him and thought for a second, hey, why not me too? Something shifted in his heart. He got caught up in his beauty. He got caught up in his power. He got caught up in his position. The Bible says that he sinned. Word of warning, you never get so close to God in your walk with God that you're not vulnerable to temptation and sin. He's not on this side of eternity. So it's best to pay attention to this guy and know how he operates because he's constantly setting traps to get us to fall into sin. So he's real. He was once magnificent and high-ranking in heaven. Uh, here's what we also know about Satan. He is wise, organized, and stupid. Everybody, look at the person next to you and say, Hey, don't be stupid. You don't want to be stupid. He's, he's wise, he's organized, and he's stupid. We know that the, the setup that Satan has, okay, um, Lucifer bearer of light, became Satan, who the translation for the word Satan is accuser, or the accuser, That's uh, who he became. He um, mimics the hierarchy that he saw in heaven. He is organized. He had so much influence and prestige and power, okay, he was able to convince, now think about this, he was able to convince one-third of the angels in heaven to join with him in his rebellion against God. One third of angels in heaven, in the presence of God, who could see the God that created them, fell victim to the slyness and the deception of Satan. That's how good he is at what he does. He said, Look at me. I can do all of this. We can take him. That's why he's stupid. That's why he's dumb. You don't take out God. He learned the hard way. But he's very organized. There are legions and military structure with the demonic forces that we are up against for sure. There are ranks and positions. We know this from Scripture. Um, Jesus cast a bunch of demons out of a guy one time who named himself Legion because we are me- used a military term to describe the amount of spirits. Which, by the way, a legion would have been on the low end around six thousand or so, if it compares to a military legion or a Roman legion of soldiers. A lot, of, it's a lot of spirits to have rolling with you, for sure. So, he's very wise and organized. He knows how to tempt. He knows how to distract. He knows how to encumber. He knows how to set those traps for us. He's very organized in how he does that, but he is stupid. He is stupid. Isaiah 14, verse 12, kind of gives us a glimpse at that. It says, how you have fallen from heaven morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, now look at this terminology, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High God. Big mistake. But you were brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. He got cast down like the joker that he was. For all his wisdom, he was a fool. And we look at something like that sometimes. We say, wow, he was really dumb. But he got into that position because he said a whole lot of I wills. I will do this. I will do that. And it's easy to look at Satan and say, Wow, you never should have rebelled against God's structure or order or or will for your existence. But how many times do we do that? How many times do we do that? I'll just be honest with you. I mean, how many times how many times do we face situations in life and instead of approaching it the way the Bible says to do it, we say, I will do it my way. How many times do we get blessed with the resources and and money and possessions and all that stuff from the Lord and we are crazy enough to think that it's ours and instead of allocating it responsibly like the steward that God has called us to be, we say, no, I will distribute it the way that I want to. When someone offends us, instead of forgiving, we say, no, I will hold this over them. You understand? You see what I'm saying? When life hits, instead of taking those cares and burdens and laying them at the feet of Jesus and not carrying more than we should, if we just follow God's plan, you know, sometimes we sit back and we say, no, I will handle this myself. I will do this my way. I will put this on my shoulders and carry more than I'm supposed to until I burn myself out, stress myself out, worry myself out, die in a pool of anxiety. Instead of doing it God's way, I will do it. That same spirit and attitude is still alive in us, and we've got to be careful because Satan will use the I wills in our lives to take us out of God's will. We've got to be on point with this stuff. So he, he does what he does. The good news is that we don't have to be victim to it. And the Bible says that we're not unaware of the enemy schemes. And You don't have to be. If you're in Christ, if you don't have Jesus, you're in trouble. Now, this is another one, and this is big, and a lot of people need to be reminded of this about Satan. He is not the opposite of God. He is not the opposite of God. He is not equal with God in any way. He is a created being, created by God, okay? Satan is not omniscient. Satan is not omnipotent. Satan is not omnipresent. What does that mean? That means he is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful, and he is not everywhere all at the same time, okay? He is limited in what he knows, he is limited. While he can't have power, he's limited in that power. A lot of people don't realize that Satan can control weather. Check out the book of Job. That he, he, has a, it, it, he, he can do some stuff, but it's limited. It's limited. So he's not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, and he can't be everywhere at the same time. I think a lot of people blame the devil for doing stuff he was never in town for. You know what I mean? He's one place at one time. That means if he's in Budapest, he's in Budapest. He can't be in Douglasville. If he's in Douglasville, then he can't be in Nashville, Tennessee. One place at one time. But he does have one-third of the fallen angels, the demons, that are busy doing his bidding and the structure that he set up to continue to deceive the world. Okay? So, but he is not the opposite of God. He's a little bitty angel and a whole lot of trouble. I heard one guy say one time... And that is what he really is. I, uh, but he likes to deceive and trick us into thinking that he's more. See, that's the whole ball game with him. He wants us to think that he's capable of more than he is. He wants us to think that he has right to access areas of our life that he doesn't. Because if he can deceive us, like he deceived Adam and even the garden, into giving up authority and position, then he has access to stuff that he shouldn't have access to. But we surrender it through deceptions. Does that make sense? So, so you have to watch out. He is not God's opposite, though. One of the coolest stories I've heard recently was a story about a chess grandmaster who saw a painting hanging up in an art museum. And this is what the painting looked like. And over the top of the painting, there was a caption that just said, Checkmate. Checkmate. And it shows on one side the devil with a feather in his hat. And on the other side, it shows this guy who's obviously very stressed out about the game that he's in. And and the message from the painting is that this guy has lost the game and the devil has him in checkmate on the on the chessboard. The grandmaster looked at this for a while and looked at the position of the pieces on the board. And saw that Satan on this side was in a strong position, but he noticed that this individual didn't see the board correctly. And the grandmaster, when he saw the painting, he started laughing. He was like, "It doesn't get it. It's checkmate, but it's checkmate the other way around. Because the guy here has one more move that he can make, and if he makes that one move, he wins the game. So the greater message of the painting is that the enemy tries to deceive to get you to think that the game is over. But I got news for you this morning. You got one more move left in you, and it's called Jesus, and you'll win every time if you will make that move. You'll make that move. You'll win every time. Every time. Satan is not the opposite of God, and he has tried to match God throughout history. You can see it in the Bible, and if you look at it creatively, you can see it with some fresh eyes. You know, um, Satan made a move and tried to rebel against God, so God made a move and kicked Satan out of heaven. Satan made a move and went to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and tried to deceive them and deceive them and snatch the power and authority and dominion over the earth. If I can't have my kingdom up there, I'll have my kingdom down here. Well, then God made a move and started blood sacrifice for the covering of sin. So then Satan made a move and said, okay, you stop me there. I'm going to deceive Cain into killing Abel to try to cut off the bloodline. So God makes a move, and through Seth, he restores the hearts of people to God. Oh, my, 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 my. And then Satan makes a move, and through Nebuchadnezzar, um, he institutes a one-world religion at the time and gets them to erect the Tower of Babel. God makes a move, knocks it down, confuses the languages of people, and puts it to an end. Then he goes to Abraham and says, I am going to create a nation and people unto myself. So Satan makes a move and says, we can't have that. I'm going to snatch these people up. ...and put them in slavery. So in Egypt, they were in slavery for over 400 years... ...until God makes a move and raises up a guy named Moses... ...who brings his people out of bondage... ...and through Joshua brings them into the land that was promised to them. Throughout Scripture, you can see this little give and take that's going on... ...until finally God said, all right, enough of this back and forth. I'm going to make the move of all moves. And the Son of God became flesh and stepped into this world... And Satan looked at him and said, okay, if he's in the flesh, then I can make a move and I can tempt him. And if I can tempt him and get him to fall, like I tempted Adam and got him to fall, then the ball game is mine. So he went at Jesus and Jesus just sidestepped and hit him with the word and said it is written, it is written, it is written. And then Satan said if I can't tempt this guy and I can't get him to fall into sin, then I've got to kill this joker. So he lifted up up Jesus on a cross and sentenced him to death as an innocent man, but what he didn't realize was this, that it wasn't the lifeblood falling out of a fallen king right before his death, but it was the blood that purchased your salvation and I and mine and set us free. He fell for the biggest trap of all because what he didn't realize was this, is that the Bible says that the Lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the earth. Listen ladies and gents and people watching online, it was over before it started. God had him set up with a masterpiece. It was in checkmate before it even started. And when Jesus rose up from the dead with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Oh, I wish I could have seen the look on his face. You thought you had something going on. He made the pawn out of Satan. I love what Jesus did for us. Satan is no equal to him. Satan is no match to him, but he's still an adversary, for sure. And so we don't want to discredit what he's capable of doing, because as soon as you don't appreciate your enemy, you become victim to your enemy. In John 10, 10, it says that his mission is pretty plain. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it, to the full. Everybody say steal. steal. Say kill. kill. And destroy. Destroy. That's what, his, that's what he's doing 24-7, 365, figuring out a way. If he can't hurt God, he is going to try to hurt the heart of God by hitting you and hitting me and deceiving us to get us to fall, to get us to be ineffective and unproductive. So, still, kill, and destroy is his larger mission. How, then, does he do it? I think one of the more common ways that he does it is this right here. He'll follow this process and follow this game plan in life. It's pretty simple. Separation, isolation, and destruction. That's what he'll try to do in your life. You know... Jesus, or no, it was was Peter who was talking about Satan, and he said he's like a lion prowling around, a roaring lion, prowling around looking for who he can devour. Lions don't attack herds. They push herds to get animals to separate so they can be isolated, so they can be devoured or destroyed. And that's what he does in our lives. He tries to create moments a separation so that we isolate ourselves to some level so that he can then come in and do what he wants to do in our lives. Well how does that look practically? Um, in church world, it could be that a guy like me or a church leader or a pastor in another church does something, just makes a mistake, just drops the ball, and you get hurt. Or offended or confused over it and there's a separation spiritually over the event because now wow I can't go back to that church I can't trust that guy if I can't trust him can I trust any other pastor if I can't trust a church leader can I really trust any other they're all a bunch of hypocrites and newsflash all right I can't speak to anybody else but I can speak to myself this guy right here has made a lot of mistakes before I stand before Jesus, I'm probably going to make a couple more. Making a mistake and choosing to willfully do harm, though, are two completely different things. If you made a mistake, wouldn't you want a little bit of grace? Wouldn't you want the benefit of the doubt? we are so quick to close the book on people. Man, I just... What gives us the right to do that, you know? So we separate ourselves and isolate ourselves and maybe some of y'all are in church today for the first time and forever and a day over something that happened. and We forget that a person's mistake does not represent God's heart to us or what Jesus did on the cross. The last time I checked, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The last time I checked, we all missed the mark. The last time I checked, we all need the grace that comes from Jesus. Need to extend grace and mercy, but we'll isolate ourselves. Now, I've got a wound in my heart. I'm not in church, and soon the drift begins to happen. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You can just open up the Bible and read it on your own. Let's ignore all the scriptures that talk about not forsaking the fellowship with, thought, with, with fellow believers. How do people bear burdens if you're not around other people? How do people lift you up in prayer if you're not connected to the body? You see, there's gaps now that give the enemy access to come in. and out you're separated, you become isolated, and the enemy destroys aspects of your life. It happens in, in marriages all the time. There's a conflict, or there's an event, or there's a disagreement, and either one or both of the people in the marriage are hurt, and there's separation that takes place. And instead of healing... And applying the word of God, we say, I will handle it my way. You know what? When they make a move, I'll make a move. When they say I'm sorry, I'll say I'm sorry. We'll do it our way instead of God's way. And now there's separation in the marriage and isolation in the marriage. And the enemy can do his work to destroy the marriage or the relationship between the child and the parent. Separation, isolation, and destruction He'll use enough life to hit you to make you wonder if there's even a God on the throne up there. We forget the fact that Jesus told us that in this world we would have trouble. Now, that's for everybody else. That's not for me. They'll have trouble. God's supposed to hear my prayers, God's supposed to answer every prayer. I'm not supposed to get sick, I'm not supposed to get injured, I'm not supposed to have any kind of crazy diseases that won't go away, I'm not supposed to lose my job, I'm supposed to get the car that I've been praying for, I'm supposed to get the raise that I've set in my heart to get, and maybe it's God's will, and maybe it's not, but we get frustrated because God doesn't move the way that we think He should move, and maybe He is going to answer, but He's going to answer in His timing, not ours, but we can't get over ourselves enough to. see it from a proper perspective, so we create, then, separation. I thought, I thought he should have healed my child. I thought he should have healed my wife. I thought, I thought that if anybody was in line for a blessing, it would have been me. And this is the game that the, am I talking to anybody this morning, this is the game that the enemy plays with us to get us separated, isolated, so that he can destroy us out of step, out of bounds, and out of the will of God. Because he's a master at deception and pulling the strings to get us where he wants us to go. The best place to be is right up next to Jesus. The best place to be is opening the Word of God and making sure that you're running the right playbook instead of, I will, I will, I will, I will. Make sense? So if you know who he is, you know what he's capable of, and you know what he likes to do, it becomes easier to spot what he's doing in your life and in your family. I mean, you say, you know what, Pastor? I'd like to shut the door on the enemy in some areas in my life. How many of y'all would say that this morning? I know me, I want to shut the door on that joker. I don't know about you, but I've got too much to do. My marriage is too important. My relationships with my kids are too important. What God has created me to do on this earth is too important for me to get caught on the sideline. When eternities are on the line, man, and ultimately, my eternity and yours. Just like heaven rejoices when someone gives their heart to Jesus, i got to believe it just irritates the mess out of the enemy when somebody gives their heart to him. I want to irritate the enemy this morning. And Before we baptize people and celebrate what God has done in their lives, maybe you're here today and you've listened to the message and maybe you're feeling the presence of God and you know that God's kind of speaking to you. I got news for you. If Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, there's nothing you can do to stop the enemy. Because you are still in a state of slavery and bondage to sin. You can try to do the right thing, but it doesn't matter. It's got control over you. Because of the fall of Adam, every person that's born into this world is born into the curse of sin. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only X factor in difference is Jesus. It's Jesus. So without him, there's nothing you can do to protect yourself. There's nothing you can do to protect your family or the future of your children. You, You have no freedom. You have no position. You have no power. You're basically going to just be a punching bag for the devil. At his mercy... And when you die, you will die, and you will go to the hell that sin goes to. God created hell for the enemy, for Satan, and his angels, or those demons, not for us. But the issue of sin has to be dealt with. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves to hell because we refuse to receive the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. We refuse to deal with the issue of sin in our lives. If you go to hell, you go to hell across. You have to walk across the grace and the love and the sacrifice life of Jesus to get there. You do. You have to, you have to look at him and say, you know what? I will do my own thing. I will live my own life. I will continue to do what I'm doing and not change. Well, we could change that today. I encourage you with all my heart. Listen, in the church thing, this is this is the most real thing in this universe. Each and every one of us are going to live a certain amount of time. We're going to breathe our last breath, and then life is really going to begin. The Bible says that our our life is like a mist or a vapor on the water. It's here for a moment. It's gone. I, I can I I blinked, and both my girls went from being little infants to man, just like that, they're gone. You blink, and one year of marriage turns into 21 years of marriage. Just like that. You blink, and it goes by so fast. All of this life is an opportunity for us to do something for that Savior that died on a cross for us. Eternity is a long time we lose sight of that and we get caught up in our business, our job, our responsibilities and we got to give focus to that stuff but sooner or later we're all going to stand in front of God and he's not going to ask how much money you made or how much money you gave or how many tires you changed for your neighbor to be a good neighbor none of that matters what matters is has the issue of sin been dealt with in your life as Jesus Lord and Savior of your life that's it. That's everything. That's what we're about to celebrate with these people that are going to get baptized. And you know what? I think we all should take a moment to make sure today we're right, that we're not the pawns of the enemy, but that he becomes a defeated foe in our lives, that we take back control of our lives instead of being at his, at his mercy. No, we take control of it, and we do what God has called us to do. I don't know about you, but life is too short to play around, and life is too short to miss the opportunities. Life's too short not to make the most of the moments that are there in front of you. And I think that this moment is one of those moments that matters the most. So if you would, let's all stand this morning. Everyone standing, take a second. I know you might need to wake up just a little bit. Let's all bow our heads, and let's close our eyes. want to ask a quick question to everybody that's in here today. Is Jesus really Lord and Savior of your life? Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. This is the moment between you and God and I want to be a witness and pray for you and to pray with you today to make sure that when you stand in front of the Lord on that day that is coming, it's unavoidable for all of us that your name will be written in that book of life, that you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, that you'll get to spend eternity ruling and reigning with Christ instead of facing punishment that you don't have to face. That's the, the beauty of it is that Jesus died for all people, all color, all conditions. You don't have to try to get yourself good. You don't have to try to correct yourself and become a good person. Jesus didn't die for us to become good people. That's behavior modification. Religion teaches that uh, a church person is supposed to look a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way, have no issues, to be almost perfect on this earth. Jesus didn't come for any of that because he knew we weren't capable of it, that we needed a Savior, that we needed grace to cover us as we grow and mature into who he's called us to be. That's why Jesus came for something called life transformation from the inside out means the closer you get to him the more work he does on the inside of you and you don't have to make yourself do a certain thing or say a certain thing it flows naturally from the inside out your desires change your wants change your perspectives change as he works on you and does what he does by transforming your life but it all starts with a moment of surrender like this, as Jesus, Lord and Savior of your life. If He's not, if you're not ready to stand before Him, but you want to get that right, I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, I want you to lift your eyes up and look at me this morning, I want to pray with you. Here we go, on the count of three, every head bowed, every eye closed. If this is you, lift your eyes up and look at me. Here we go. One, two, three three. Lift them up and I see yours. 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 I see you right there. Once you lift them up, you can put them back down. I see yours right there. If you haven't lifted your eyes yet, lift them up and look at me. I want to make sure I get everybody. I see you right there, my friend. Oh, God's doing something in this place. If you haven't lifted them up yet, lift them up and look at me. This is a powerful moment, the powerful moment in your life. Don't let it past you by. I see you right there. Praise I see you. I see you. This is so awesome what God is doing. I see you right there. Man, it is it is time to take I see you right there. It's time to take control of this. It's time to get it on track. Oh, there's so many of us. There's so many of us in this place. If you haven't lifted your eyes yet, or if I've missed you, lift your eyes up and look at me. I want to make sure that I get everybody. I see you right there. Make sure that I get everybody this morning. Man, you're, you're doing more than just responding to me. You're making an acknowledgement of what's going on inside of you and your need for Jesus. I love this. One last time before we change the flow of this, if you haven't lifted your eyes yet and you know you need to, lift them up. Look at me. I see you right there. I see, man, I see so many tears forming in eyes right now. I love what the Lord is doing.